We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Jack Manuel here for another Brooklyn Buzz and an unfortunate another loss. Nets go down to the Utah Jazz by 17 points, 125 to 108. And look, this one was a dredge, a drudge, whatever the correct word is. It was just a, a poor way to end this West Coast road trip. The Nets go one and four. Probably should have gone two and three. Could have gone three and two. It's disappointing to say the least. Disappointing to say the least. There was not many positives from this game or the West Coast road trip overall. Uh, I guess I'll dive into just some general game notes. Look, uh, Mikhail, look, he was fine at, at different times, but... You know, in at the start of the game, the Nets are finding their footing and they eventually got into a bit of a rhythm towards the end of the first and were able to sort of you know, find a semblance of chemistry and cohesion. You know, it was ended up being 28 apiece to end the quarter. The Nets extended that lead um, by outtaking the Jazz by five points in the second quarter, but things fell apart in the second half. They scored 49 points to 71. They had scored by 71 points in the second half. To the Utah Jazz. Now, no disrespect to the Utah Jazz. Now, I know anytime anyone says no disrespect, the disrespect immediately follows. And maybe it does. But look, Larry Markinen, really good player. Would love to have him on the Brooklyn Nets. But Colin Sexton, Taylor Horton, Tucker, these two dudes combining for 54 points. You know, Agbaji and John Collins chipping in for double digits off the bench. Like, really? Like, this Nets team... It's it's bread and butter. Is its depth, its offense. You know, the offense has been really positive to start the year, but we saw pretty poor moments overall. So, look in the second period. You know, the Spencer was continued to be steady. We got our first Jalen Wilson three ball. He's been shooting the lights out in the G League. Good to see him do that. Also, at the end of the first quarter, he was really strong. He's boxing out. I know Nick has made a point of that in the past about the Nets in general. So Jalen Wilson providing a real point in it. He was able to get some free throws out of that. Uh, and the, the the Utah Jazz played quite a bit of zone. You know, and, and the Nets had some effectiveness in it. You know, Klax was able to find a, a little bit of a dinky floater here or there. Um, he also had a, a nice defensive play on the fast break where it was sort of like three on one and Taylor Horton Tuck and sort of bottled it. But 
I think Claxton also, his presence there certainly had an effect. We also saw some growing chemistry on the offensive end from Cam Thomas and Mikael Bridges in terms of, you know, Mikael driving and kicking out to Cam, you know, those guys sort of screening for each other. So that was somewhat positive. Obviously, the game didn't end in, in such a fashion. But yeah, at the half, things were looking okay. You know, the Nets are shooting the ball well. They didn't have like a heap of, you know, offensive generation. They were leading in a lot of stats other than, you know, rebounding and points in the paint, which is something, and also fast break points, which is something that wasn't incredible, is probably how I'll say it. But, you know, in the third, you know, Cam Thomas goes on this little mini run. He had like seven points in like three minutes. Then he had like another three, so he had like 10 points. He was also getting a, a really egregious whistle from the, the officials. It was just like, the, it's sort of like how the in the past where there's up-and-coming stars and they don't get that whistle like a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James or a whoever else or Giannis Antetokounmpo because they don't have the credibility yet. He wasn't getting the credibility whistle despite the fact that he's a very credible offensive player and he was getting hacked. Like there was... Uh, Kelly Olenek gets his fourth foul thanks to a Cam Thomas drive and, and drawing that contact. And then Cam puts up a, another one and Kelly Olenek blatantly fouls him and he doesn't get that fifth call on him. And it was just... It was just really bad officiating, like in in terms of, look, there were some calls here or there, but I think particularly when it came to Cam Thomas, it was just like, this guy could have easily had another five, six free throws and maybe even more if the officials actually opened their eyes and they weren't bird blocks and the bloody bloody bullshit. But in, in saying that, we also saw, you know, Claxton that third as well had a nice little sort of take, you know, through John Collins sort of survey what was going on in the offense and this is about 80 83 but the jazz went on a 15 to 2 run and the the nets just couldn't get anything going they couldn't stop the jazz they couldn't generate anything themselves but cam thomas comes in he actually stops the bleeding a little bit it's just like the nets are, are heavily reliant on cam thomas especially in the absence of of lonnie walker who's another sort of offensive spark and engine that they've been missing quite a bit so you know thoughts and, and and fingers and toes crossed that we got lonnie back soon but claxton also had like a really big block at the end of the quarter on that john collins dunk attempt that was a a big play from him but this stat was something that stuck out i can't remember who it was but credits to whoever it was but the nets had one field goal in the last four minutes and 42 seconds like one field goal made that's and um, the nets it just seems to me when there's junk defenses out there the nets don't have rhythm and then don't have offensive talent to just be able to work their way through that i think spencer can i think cam t can i think mikhail can't you know at this stage at least you know as an offensive engine but yeah overall that third period is where the nets lost the game and they just couldn't crawl their way back. They were able to get, you know, things back here or there. They scrambled back, and you know, they're down to like five or, or something like like that. Where Royston got this sort of big, big steal on on John Collins, and uh, Collins got like a tech because I think it was like an, an, a clear path foul. And Mikel Bridges missed that tech free throw as well, which was he's normally an incredible free throw shooter. So he just wasn't finding a rhythm whatsoever. So yeah, it was just, and it it was just a bad game. A bad, bad game. I think that's enough for my game notes. Uh, after the break, guys, I'll dive into the individual players overall. Nick Claxton's news around him and his future in Brooklyn, and that little Donovan Mitchell update. All right, I'm- we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm just going to start with Cam Thomas because he's the only good player that was there tonight. Look, maybe I should give a bit of credit to Spencer Dewan. He had a double-double, 17 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds. You know, was But was 1 of 6 from 3. So if you take out the, the threes, he was like seven of nine from the field. Like oh, Sorry, he was six of nine from the field. So it was poor three-point shooting from, from Spencer Dimity, but I still think his steadiness, at playmaking for himself and others, he was driving the ball really well. He was you know aggressive in, in his drives. Got a few blocked here or there, but I thought he was, 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 was positive. He was, again, consistent, and I think was consistent overall in this road trip. But... The story of the night in terms of somewhat of a, a glimmering light was Cam Thomas, 12 of 23 from the field, 5 of 7 from the 3. The 3 ball is really starting to come around now. He's taking those catch and shoots and he's hitting them well. Only the th- the 3 free throws, he should have had 6, 7, 8 of them quite easily. 4 boards, 3 assists, a steal, a block, 3 turnovers, 3, 32 points. He was... When then when he was out there, you felt like the Nets could find something offensively and they were going to hang around. But when he wasn't there, the Nets just were in a, a a world of trouble in terms of being able to find and create shots. So, look, I think he's been great. You know, his he, just his ability to work his way after getting the injury, and you know, he wasn't aggressive. And I'm eating my words more than happily. He started the game one of five, so to be able to work his way through that game, so that means he finished the game. So he hit 12 field goals. I'm doing the math on the spot here, guys. Had 18 more shots. So that means he was like 11 of 18 to end the game. If that my math is correct. If I'm incorrect, please hit me up in the DMs. I don't mind being wrong and, and being corrected. But it just shows you the maturity, the growth, and just the all-round effect on the game. I, I won't hear any bullshit about this guy. You know, the Nets, it's just, it's nothing more than happenstance when Cam Thomas plays well that the Nets don't. It's his teammates that aren't freaking playing well. It's Mikael Bridges. It's Cam Johnson who is just a, a, a nothing. Like, it has no effect on the game. He is just absolutely bland, flavorless nothing out there. If Cam Thomas had someone supporting him outside of Spencer Dimity, because I think Clax was average. I would give like a 5, 6 out of 10. I don't think he was positive other than you know a few quality defensive players and a few little zone busting and, and offensive moves and only taking the five field goals so look someone needs to help cam thomas and lonnie walker dennis Smith jr those guys returning as soon is is gonna probably be of, of some help to him but yeah you got to give the full credit to cam thomas in the way that he is continuing to be consistent in his offensive production and performances 
It's as simple as that. He, This is what we expect of him. We expect him to put up 25-plus on good efficiency, get to the line a lot. And he was making some good passes and, and the right reads. And some of the... Yeah, there was one I think Eric Slater posted where he had a nice drive, dropped it off to Mikhail. Mikhail dropped it off to, to Nick Claxton. He's just, and then he, again, was getting blitzed and getting doubled. And he was just driving through them. And he was getting like, you know, hard isolation defense. And he was just driving through them. So that aggressive mentality, he just is super confident, super efficient right now. And I'm CT obsessed. Yeah, call it what you will. But outside of that, guys, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, again, as I alluded to, his playmaking was pretty positive. Nick Claxton in his 26 minutes. There's seven boards, two of them offensive, three blocks, three turnovers for him. I think that's far too high for a guy that doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot. Some of those might have been inadvertent, but I think the Nets were pretty sloppy tonight. I think the 13 turnovers reflects that somewhat. It's average-ish, but through the nature of some of those turnovers allowed some fast break points and transition and second chance opportunities for the Utah Jazz. But I think the big conversation has to happen about the Twins. Mikael Bridges, maybe one of his worst games as a Brooklyn Net, and we said that maybe the other night against the Golden State Warriors too, other than that last quarter performance. This was, you know, the five assists, that's nice. The three of eight from three, that's nice-ish. The two of five from the free throw line, and the four of 16 from the field, 25%. Like, that's just trash. Like, putting, calling a spade a spade, that is trash. And that he needs to be better. And he is a leader of this team. His play over the West Coast Road Trip in general, I think, you know, Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets posted like 16 points on like 37% from the field. That's just pitiful. And look, the the miss at the end of the game, I might have gone a little bit too high on it. Jonathan Kimmick might have gotten a piece on it. But Mikel just has to be better. He just feels like there is no semblance of flow to his game feels like he's forcing things his defense is not there to the extent that you know his reputation has you know built up over his years in phoenix and even a little bit last year in in brooklyn but he needs to step up like he was really bad and speaking of really bad cam johnson he has been really bad all season other than maybe two or three games and this tonight 27 minutes two and nine from the field one of five from three five rebounds an assist a steal Seven points. Seven points. Seven points. Like, if Cam Johnson isn't hitting three balls at a 40% rate, like, what is he doing? And if he's shooting him at half of that at a 20% rate, what is he doing? Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in the latter portions of the game where he got a bit of an elbow to the head and hopefully, I don't want any of our players to be unwell physically, mentally, uh, but I, I, it, you you got to analyze what he did in before that and over this West Coast road trip and over the season overall. Bench him. Like I said in the pod with Nick in, in the last one, bench Cam Johnson. Start Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith wasn't great tonight either. I thought he was okay and he's come back after the knee soreness. But you got to bench Cam Johnson, man. Like He's earning this starting spot based off of reputation and contracts right now. If you're judging him based off of production... He doesn't deserve to start. He's not playing like a starter. He's making bad decisions. He's not offensively efficient offensively efficient in any case. His presence isn't felt there. He's sort of just in the wayside and behind the scenes. It's sort of Joe Harris-esque in ways. And we gave plenty of shit to Joe Harris. 
we also I also gave plenty of love to Joe Harris and his time as a Brooklyn Net, but and can and I think Joe Harris is aging and the injuries are catching up to him, but I don't know like the excuse if there is one for Cam Johnson. He needs to be better. He needs to be better and I hope he can get better because that means the Brooklyn Nets will be better too. So who knows? But I don't think he is playing like a starter and does he deserve to when you've got, you know, a, a few good guys coming off the bench. But speaking of that bench, Dorian Finney-Smith in his return, two or seven from the field, two or five from three, also three assists, two rebounds, six points. Royce O'Neal, 23 minutes, two or six and three. All of those were all of his shots. Watford was okay. Harry Giles played in some junk time. Darren Sharp was hit a three ball, which I oh, know he didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm reading, I'm misreading that. That's Jalen Wilson who hit that one. Uh, did have the five rebounds in his uh, 16 minutes for Darren Sharp. That, that's sort of like Darren Sharp. Like it makes his presence felt. Like that's one thing you can certainly say about him. And Jalen Wilson again getting to the free throw line and hitting that three ball. It was just. He's earning this, and these are formative experiences in his NBA career, and it's going to be a nice little building block for him. So that was certainly positive, but yeah, wasn't many positive things tonight in general for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, guys, but yeah, it's just one of those things. One of those things, and it wasn't a good thing by any stretch. So uh, I want to get to a report from Mike Scotto. He had a, a pretty in-depth interview with Nick Claxton saying... A lot of different things. I'll jump into some of the quotes and you guys can share your thoughts in the replies when I post this podcast and hit me up in the DMs or, or, or Nick as well. Yeah, He was saying that he wants to be there. Like he says, what do you, what would you look for in free agency? He said, a place where I'm wanted. I'm here now. Hopefully everything works out in Brooklyn. I love it here. He's, you know, and it was also, Mike's got to source out some different people across the league to sort of see what his salary range would be and uh, i quote this from the article claxton's projected salary heading into free agency is 21 million dollars per year according to 12 nba executives polled by hoopsite two of the 12 executives believe nick claxton could get as high as 27 million dollars annually for other executives pegged claxton's value in the 20 to 25 range and two ex- executives valued claxton at 20 million dollars annually i think that's look i've said in the past you know early in the preseason sort of thing and in, in the previews that we did there Nick Vucevic, Jakob Pertl, Jared Allen, all those sort of guys earn around $20 million. Nick Claxton is playing at that level-ish. Maybe it's a rung below in the Mitchell Robinson, Onyekon Kongwu sort of range where it's sort of like $15 to $80 million. Now, obviously, there's plenty of machinations. Like, if you sign Clax, can you keep Cam Johnson? Probably not. Maybe, like, offload Cam Johnson. You know, there's a lot of different machinations, but focusing on Clax, I think that right now he's playing around that $20 million range, maybe just shy of that. You know, if he hits that three ball consistently, he's certainly going to earn, but maybe what the market dictates, maybe there are other teams out there that would be looking for him, whether it's, I don't know, Detroit decide to actually go for a center that's actually good, Dallas, any of these other sort of teams, but... Yeah, when he was, I think that's the the talking point about the the range of money that he should be getting. Yeah, give me your thoughts. You know, I think he should be at around fifteen to twenty right now. I'd probably say just shy of it, given his. I don't think he's been as impactful, and the numbers show that, despite his blocks and the fact that the net scheme isn't utilized to his, you know, really high level capabilities. So look. He's a, he's a very good player. I'm a big fan of Clack City. We all know that. But 
yeah, in saying that, you know, he's going to have to play better if he wants to earn closer to that 27 million range, which is what other people are saying. But the market dictates what the market will dictate. Uh, a few other little takeaways from it, guys. He was asked what he wants in general. One of the he's like to be one of the better two-way players in the league, offensively, being that guy, go out, average 15 points. At the end of the day, I know my hang up, my hat on the defensive side of the ball and I think he needs to be a little bit better in terms of on that end of the floor because the Nets have been much poorer there they've had solid stretches you know when they went six and one over that sort of seven game stretch they were looking pretty good but this West Coast road trip seemed like a little bit of a step back clacks I think was okay you know in general and he just had a, a general uh, note on the team. He said, I think we've done a pretty good job of winning the games we're supposed to win. For us, taking that next step as a group is going out and beating some of the top teams in the East and around the league. Fair expectations for us is definitely being a playoff team, getting to the playoffs. Uh, we won't be a favorite, but going in there, getting some wins, making it tough for whoever we play against. We got swept a couple of years ago. That leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So yeah, the Nets need to be better defensively. I think Clack said that you know, too. So we'll see. Uh, Nick Claxton's future is it in Brooklyn is it outside of it what will the money be for him let me know let me know if you please but I want to end with something via Brian Windhorse and he quoted on his podcast saying that the Nets and Knicks could be in a bidding war for Donovan Mitchell now if and when that happens so I would say the net and this is a quoting him I would say the Knicks and the Nets are riding on the line these two teams where I think Donovan would have a chance of re-signing if they got into a bidding war I think that could be interesting now you you talk about all of the assets that both of these teams have are they going to be willing to throw those in for Donovan Mitchell check out the episode that Nick and I had in terms of discussing Donovan Mitchell in depth. and But this is an intriguing little update because, as I alluded to on that previous pod, when Brian Windhorst speaks about the NBA, let alone Cleveland, you listen. So this is intriguing. He knows something. The Nets certainly, there is, it's not unknown that the Nets will have interest in Donovan Mitchell. At what price? You know, there's going to be plenty of teams after him, as I alluded to on that previous pod too. But in general, guys, not the best podcast here. I, I apologize if I'm a bit down, but the Nets are a bit down too. Hopefully they can bounce back against those New York Knicks that I was alluding to. Nick and I will be back to recap that one. Hopefully it's a W. Thanks everyone for listening. Make sure you give us five stars on any podcast platform and leave us a review if you have the capabilities as well. Nets well.